Thanks for listening to this audio podcast from Crossgate Church in Hot Springs, Arkansas. We invite you to visit us at crossgate.org. It is our hope that you will hear from God and draw closer to Him through this service. As we continue the series, we believe, been looking at the essentials of the faith, those things that are paramount, you know, those things that we really have to believe in order to, to live out biblical Christianity. Uh, man, we've looked at uh, you know, several things, just what the Bible says about God himself. We've looked at, at uh, what the Bible says about humanity. We've looked at what the Bible says about Jesus, who he was, what he did. We have looked at, uh, two weeks ago, I believe it was, that Pastor Joshua did a wonderful message on uh, the cross and what that means to us as followers of Jesus. And then uh, last week, uh, a a wonderful message uh, that Phil brought on salvation and looking at the essentials of what the Scripture teaches about what it is to have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. The scripture speaks of being born again. The scripture speaks of, of, of walking in faith. And uh, so we're going to talk a little bit, we're going to kind of dovetail with that some and then, and then look at uh, the idea this morning of sanctification. What is it that, that God wants us to do from the, the already, if this represents kind of that moment of, of uh, transition or exchange where we give our lives to Christ and the not yet that which will come in eternity everything in between what is it that God is calling us biblically to do how is he calling us to live if we are children of his that is that we're all created in his image but if we have given our lives to Christ if we are uh, genuine followers of Jesus Christ, what is it that the scripture says to us that is essential in between the already and the not yet? Well, I want to uh, invite you to take your Bibles or your devices and turn to the book of Philippians, wonderful uh, book, and I want you to go to chapter 2, wonderful chapter and uh, we're going to do a little bit of background, and then we're going to focus this morning, kind of our landing spot, our, key, our two key verses are verses 12 and 13. But it's always good to have a little bit of context to, you know, again, who is the, who is the writer, who is he writing to? And when you're pulling out just a couple of verses like I am, what is it that, that and Paul is the writer here, what is he saying before he gets to 12 and 13? Well, first of all, if you look at the, the first part of chapter 2, he's really encouraging the, the believers in, uh, in Philippi to have the same spirit. Now, if he says, you will complete my joy if you have the same mind, if you're unified, if you have one purpose, and, not be, and to not be motivated by selfish ambition or, or, or vain conceit, Agreed. He said, each of you should, not, should be concerned not only about your own interests, but also the interest of others. And then it's almost like he's saying, okay, the best way for me to explain this under the leadership of the Holy Spirit, but the best way I can explain this 
is verse 5 through 11. And I want us to read that, and then we'll read through 13. But we're going to start in verse 5. Paul says, you should have the same attitude toward one another that Christ Jesus had, who though he existed in the, form of not, uh, in the form of God, did not regard equality with God as something to be grasped or held on to. But he emptied himself by taking on the form of a slave. Maybe your translation says servant or bondservant. By looking like other men, verse 8, and by sharing in human nature. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. And as a result, God exalted him and gave him the name that is above every name. That at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow. In heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And then we get to verse 12. So then... Or maybe your translation says, therefore, my dear friends, just as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but even more in my absence, continue working out your salvation with awe and reverence. Maybe yours says fear and trembling. For the one bringing forth in you both the desire and the effort for the sake of his good pleasure is God. Man, how do you follow? that? Verses 6 through 11 are actually a song put to music in the Scripture, a hymn, if you will. And the truths found in it and the scope of it leave us in awe and wonder, truly. But there is also some very practical implications to this song. You see, as, as Paul points out in this passage Notice the link from the hymn to this passage. Paul says, so then, verse 12, like I said, or therefore. He's looking back to what was just said to make these these points. And he's preparing to make some very strong and profound exhortations, statements to the church in, in Philippi. Paul calls the Philippians to work out their salvation with fear and trembling. Indeed, Paul teaches us much about Christian discipleship in this passage. The whole tone of this passage is pastoral. He begins by saying, my dear friends. The one thing that, that uh, if you've done any study at all about the book of Philippians, you know that Paul loved the believers in, Philippians, in Philippi. He loved them. And he had great affection for them. So he calls them, my dear friends. And he loves them enough to also encourage them, but to exhort them with, with, with challenging words in the spirit, though, of a shepherd. Paul is connecting God's work here in 12 and 13 and our work of sanctification. The space between the already and the not yet. So let's look at 12 and 13 one more time. So then, my dear friends, just as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but even more in my absence. So he points out that not only are you following the truths of the gospel and, 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 and the ways of, of Scripture, but you, when I'm here with you, but you're doing it even when I'm not here. 
He's, he, he's encouraging them. He says, continue working out your salvation with awe and reverence or fear and trembling. For the one bringing forth in you both the desire and the effort for, for the sake of his goodness or sake of his good pleasure is God. You see, verses 12 and 13 provide us with a wonderful starting point for understanding what is called in theology sanctification. That is, the lifelong obedience of believers, which leads us to growth in Christ-likeness. From the moment that we've been saved, when we've crossed that line of faith, as Pastor Phil talks about, the work that God does in us, this, this work of sanctification. Now, this passage is not about works-based righteousness. Paul doesn't say work for your own salvation because even he reminds us that we can't earn it. In Ephesians 2, 8 through 10, Paul himself says, for by grace you are saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God. It is not from works so that no one can boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works that God prepared beforehand so so we may do them. Paul himself said there's nothing that we can do to earn or deserve our salvation. For we are his workmanship. That is that he is working, crafting. We are his craftsmanship. Paul says, work out your salvation, which is a huge difference, as I just said, from working for your salvation. You see, God has worked salvation for us by his sovereign grace alone. And Christ has done the work on the cross to bring us to justification, which is the twin brother of sanctification. You see, sanctification is about living in light of this gracious gift of salvation. So in light of this gift that God has given to us and we have received and become a follower of Christ, how are we to live in this light, this new position and our new identity? I want us to take just a a look at a few things specifically about sanctification and that word, and then we'll come back to verses 12 and 13, all of which apply. The first thing, and I think this is in your notes, sanctification has two aspects, positional and experiential. Positional and experiential. You see, positional sanctification or justification is primarily a once-for-all definite act. There is a moment. We, we, We can learn about Christ. We can learn a lot about the Scripture. But there comes a moment in our lives. And as I mentioned earlier, uh, I, I like what Phil says. He's, he's like there, that, that point, there's a point where we step over that line of faith and we receive what Christ has done for us. The Spirit of the living God reveals to us and helps us to see more than just this man dying on a cross. He helps us to understand that we're blocked from getting to God. And, and that Jesus was the one who was sent to pay the price, God in the flesh, who never sinned to die on our behalf. In verse Corinthians uh, chapter 6, verse 11, 
God's Word says, and this is Paul again, and such were some of you. But you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of God. 2 Corinthians 5, verse 21, which many believe, if you could pick one verse to describe the gospel, this is it. God made the one, made him, probably in your translation, who is him, Jesus, who did not know sin to be sin for us. So that in him, we would become the righteousness of God. MacArthur, there's a kind of a a short video that circled around a few years, for the last few years, where he's describing this. When Jesus was hanging on the cross, he was pure and undefiled. No sin. But he was there taking on my sin. It It was like he was living my life on the cross. So that when God would look at the cross, He would see you, but when He looks at you, He would see Jesus. That is, there is this this transition or transaction that takes place where we understand that we are blocked from God because of our sin. And we need a Savior, and Christ is that Savior. I've never met one religious person in my life, just in general, who didn't understand there's something has to be done for me to be, there's something that blocks me from getting to God. Now, some believe it's works. Some believe it's penance. Some believe karma. Some believe, I mean, what, whatever. But in John chapter 14, Jesus said, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And he was the one that died on a cross for your sin and three days later rose from the dead. I think I'll take that. So there is this transaction, this once and for all definite act. But it has ongoing effects. Your next point there is that on your notes is the experiential aspect of sanctification is the continual process of purification, transformation, and progress in our faith journey. And see, that comes as a result of God taking possession or ownership of our lives. When we, when we come to faith in Christ, we're saying, God, you are our master, and we will follow you. It's a continual process. So once we have made that decision, then from that point to the not yet, the already to the not yet, God is calling us to this purification and transformation that he does in us as a result of the work of the Spirit. Positionally, on your notes, we are to live out this new reality through Christ who dwells within us in the person of the Holy Spirit. You see, the instant saving faith is enacted, there begins a change in your nature. In 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17, God's Word says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. 
The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. What is the old that has passed away? It's, it's our old nature. What is the new that has come? It, it is our new nature. When we come to faith, the power of sin is broken. And by the Spirit of God living in us, we have the power to overcome with His help. You see, the fruit of sanctification, this this growth, this, this change that happens immediately is both necessary and inevitable. And it comes, as I mentioned earlier, as a baptism of the Holy Spirit. In 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 13, God's Word says, For in one Spirit we were all baptized into one body. Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one Spirit. In that moment, in that exchange, God's Spirit came to live in us. As I shared in the first service, the same Spirit in Romans 8 that raised Jesus, that talks about raising Jesus from the dead, lives in you and I when we give our lives to Him by faith. I love this, um, this verse um, in Titus. It's kind of my theme passage. It's not one verse, but you know me. I talk a lot anyway, so it's several verses. But I want to read it for you. Titus, starting in verse 3. For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slave to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. But when the goodness, the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, He saved us. Not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and the renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. In Ephesians 5, verse 15, so be careful how you live. Don't live like, like fools, but like those who are wise. Make the most of every opportunity in these evil days. Don't act thoughtlessly, but understand what the Lord wants you to do. Don't be drunk with wine because that will ruin your life. Instead, be filled. Be filled daily with the Holy Spirit. I left a passage out earlier, and I, I don't want the guys to have to go back to it, but I do want to read it. Because it's so important about this work of transformation that God is wanting to do. Colossians 3 says, For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. But when Christ who is your life appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. So so Paul says, so put to death, put to death whatever in your nature belongs to the earth. 
sexual immorality, impurity, shameful passion, evil desire, and greed, which is idolatry. All of those things. Paul knew the struggles. Nothing has changed today. Paul is saying to us, allow the Spirit of God to transform your life. I love that in, that in Titus, verse 4, I read that, but when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared. Now some critics fear that the teaching of justification by faith alone will lead to a lax attitude within the church towards this pursuit or desire for holiness. And I'm sure that that happens in many cases. There are also those who fear that our pursuit of holiness, desiring to, to, to follow God and to pursue Him and, and allow Him to change us can feel like that we're paying a debt that we owe. It's like Jesus paid this debt and so now we have this debt that we have to pay Him back, which is not the truth. That appears more like a worse work-based faith. But guys, here's what I know and what I experienced in my own life and what I believe that Scripture teaches us. This is what I see in God's Word. is that when we truly come to Christ, when we truly come to Christ, something changes inside of us. And the gospel provides profoundly new motives to obey his word. A desire to delight and to please God. I think one of the reasons, of course, I, I've always been kind of an emotional guy. But I think one of the things that gets me emotional when if, I, if I share my testimony or I read Titus is because I know where I was, and I know what he did for me. And it, it just seemed fitting, and God's word verifies it, but it just, but it just seems fitting that I want to serve him and live for him. Now, I fall woefully short at times, guys. I do. So don't let me... Please don't hear me in some type of self-righteousness because that's, that's far from the truth. I'm talking about the desire that God gave me in my heart. He changed me. And that's what I know. The gospel changes the motives of our heart and gives us this delight to please God. Luther said at one point, we're not justified by a profession of faith, but by a possession of faith. And I think there's a reality that sometimes that, and that we feel like if we just we whisper a prayer. Every, anytime I've ever heard anybody talk about the, the, the sinner's prayer, it's biblical. I mean, there's nothing I've ever... Heard anyone share with a sinner's prayer that I thought, that's not biblical. But the one thing that's interesting is that that sinner's prayer, the sinner's prayer not in, is not in here. It's not in the Word. Again, it's not, it's biblical. Anytime I've ever heard it used. But it's not the prayer. That's, 
there is this moment when you have this understanding. You may not have the, you know, I, I remember the day and I wrote it down in my Bible. That's how I know the day when it happened. I remember it very vividly, but, but it's, that's not the important part. The important part is, do you possess faith? Has there been this moment where you recognize that you, you have surrendered all that you are to all that he is. You have laid your sin before him. You have accepted his forgiveness on the cross and you have taken up your own cross and you have sought to follow him. And he has changed your heart. He has not made you perfect because we're not perfect, guys. We won't be made perfect until here. Removed from the power of sin, but not the presence of sin. The sin is still present, not only in the world, but in our own lives. And we battle that flesh and that, that, uh, that sin nature and the spirit that lives in us. We'll talk a little bit more about that in a moment. But the pursuit of holiness should come from this experiential manifestation from a heart it should come from a heart that desires to please God not because if I don't he won't bless me and not because if I don't he will discipline me but because he has done everything for me and because of that I want my life to be yielded to his will more and more. Even much more than it is today. As long as He gives me breath, I want, to, I want Him to do more work of sanctification. Why? Because I want to please Him. Because He's done everything for me. I think on your notes, D, there is the objective and experiential aspects of sanctification give us full assurance of our salvation and strength for the daily battle. I don't think there's anyone here that, that is a serious follower of Christ that would say, man, I, you know, I, I, but I'd like that assurance of faith. Well, Paul says in 2 Timothy 1.12, he says, But I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed and am convinced that he is able to guard until that day what has been entrusted to me. Jesus said in John chapter 10, I give them eternal life and they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. As I, daily as I walk in submission and yield my will to, to the Father's will and as the more that I, I study and understand His word and walk in community and pray and give Him everything and everyone in my life, what I realize is that that's what he's doing. He's confirming and giving me that assurance, that eternal security, that yes. And in Romans chapter 8, verse 16, he says, The Spirit himself bears witness to our spirit that we are children of God. When we walk with God closely and we allow him to transform our lives because of our love for him, he gives us assurance and faith, and peace, and hope, even in the midst of tragedy, and pain, and suffering, He can still give us, and will give us, 
and an undescribed, an un, <laughs> you, you know, a peace that passes all understanding, Philippians says. And then also, in Ephesians chapter 6, God's word says, For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand firm. Here's what I know. Having just read the scriptures, seeking to walk with him in just 60 years of living on this planet. The enemy has a plan to destroy your life. He has a plan to destroy your life. He has a plan to destroy your marriage. He has a plan to destroy your children. He has a plan to destroy every relationship that's meaningful in your life. He has a plan to destroy you personally. And what I've come to understand through the teaching of Scripture is that as I yield myself to Him, and I understand this, this, this battle that I'm, I'm in, if I will take up the armor of God, and that's a whole sermon there, but if I take up the armor of God, if I will walk in community, if I will, if I will commit to God's Word, if I, and to, to the study of it, if I will commit my life to prayer, if I will commit my life to walking with Him, Again, not because of what I'll get from him, even though, as I said, as I shared that quote earlier about worship, there's, a, there's an ancillary benefit. The way God designed it, we, we don't come to God in service because we want something from him. We need to come to him because he is deserving. He has given us everything we could possibly ever want, a hope of eternity with him. And yet... He will give us assurance. He will give us hope. He will give us peace. And one day, the Scripture says, one day the Scripture says, eye has not seen, ear has not heard what the Father has in store for those who love Him. Now here's what I, I want us to understand. Christians, even serious Christians, are capable of tragic spiritual and moral failure. If you don't believe that, just remind yourself of what the Scripture teaches about David, about Lot, about Samson. But the faith of a genuinely saved person remains. If God's Spirit lives in you and you have made a tragic failure, that faith, is, that, that, that Spirit of God that's living in you is stirring in you. And it's compelling you. And it's calling you to eventual repentance and restoration. Just ask Peter. Deny Jesus three times. I do not know this man. The scripture says he even cursed. I do not know this man. And yet God forgave him. Peter was humbled. He walked in the spirit of humility. And he came to God in brokenness. And God said, upon this rock, Peter, upon this rock, I will build my church. I don't care what you've done. Even as a follower of Jesus, repent, come back to him, receive his love and forgiveness, and walk with him. He is not done with you. A Christian may fail totally, but not finally. He may fail totally, or seems like he's failed totally, but he has not failed finally.
The scriptures never present the believer's security as an excuse for sin. Romans, Paul says, should I just sin so that grace might abound? No. That's why he says later, we should, we should, in verse 13, with fear and trembling, we should work out our salvation. Why is that? Because we should take it seriously. And we should remember, as I said earlier, that God is at work in our lives. This battle with the spirit and the flesh. And every day that we live this life, James tells us in, in, in chapter 1 that God is working in our lives to produce maturity. He said, consider it all joy, my brother, when you face trials, tribulations, heartache. Romans 5.3 talks about how God is building character and hope. How do I apply this? Rob, to my life when I go to work tomorrow and everything seems to be falling apart. Remember this. God is always at work. There is nothing that happens in our lives that is meaningless. Nothing is meaningless. Because He is preparing us and building us and shaping us for what is to come. Sanctification is evidenced not by self-righteousness, but by a hunger for righteousness. There's, there's nothing more that turns people off more than someone who comes across self-righteous. I get that. That's not what sanctification is. Sanctification is God changing you and creating a hunger for righteousness in you. And as a result, with His help, we come alongside and we do the work of allowing Him to transition us and transform us. Transform us into his image so that we can be set free from all the world is seeking to do to destroy us. Now back in Philippians, just very quickly, I want you to, to remember three things very, about uh, Paul helps us here to work out our salvation in three ways. He commends them. He says, so then, my dear friends, just as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but even more in my absence, as we said earlier, seeking to allow God to, to transform your heart, even in those moments when no one else is around. He says, but even more in my absence, continue working out your salvation with awe and reverence. The second thing is that he challenges them. He challenges them. Work this out with, with awe and reverence. What, do you, what does he mean by awe and reverence? He's saying, take this seriously. Take this work seriously. Not because it'll make me feel better. I, you know, he, it's because of, he knows what this will do in our lives when we take this work of sanctification seriously. So what does it mean? It simply means to follow the example of Christ. Jesus has given us the pattern for obedience. He has shown us what humble, others-focused, God-glorifying obedience looks like. We read about that in, in, chapter, in, in verses 6 through 11. 
God humbled himself. Now, we might wish that we could do this, this, you know, this Christ-likeness, this growth in faith quickly. But the reality is there's no special diet. There's no pill that you can take to become, you know, to become spiritually mature. You can't eat kale. It doesn't happen if you eat kale. I don't know, though. My wife eats kale, and she walks with the Lord. But here's the thing. It's a challenge. It's a challenge because it's a long obedience in the same direction as we battle against the, 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 the flesh, the spirit in us battling against the flesh. It's a long obedience in the same direction. But what Paul says here at the end of 13 is the key. He says, for the one bringing forth in you both the desire and the effort for the sake of his good pleasure is God. So your last part of your note there is that Paul is saying he comforts us. He provides an encouragement reminding the the Philippians and he's reminding us today that we don't do this work alone. When When you burn out and just walk away is when you're trying to having those feelings, and I've had those. It's when I'm trying to do that and live that in my own strength. Paul is reminding us that the very Spirit of God, the very Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead is living inside of us and can raise us and can transform us. And that should comfort us. That should comfort us because it reminds us again that we're not alone. God is reminding us that The work that he began. Paul again in Philippians chapter 1 verse 6. He who began a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. Until I take my last breath or Jesus returns, God is going to complete the work that he has begun in you. He has promised that. His spirit lives in you if you're his child and he is seeking to work in and through you and will accomplish his will now let's step back for a moment as we close March 27 1981 I was a junior in high school toward obviously toward the the end of the of the school year God's spirit has had been working in my heart but it was in that it was it was there in in a place in in uh, in East Texas Well, for the first time in my life, I really understood what God had done for me. I knew I was, I knew I was a sinner. I, I knew I, I was far from perfect. That I, and, I, and, I, and, I, and I believed there was a God. I believed he wanted to know me, but I knew there, there, was, a, there was a barrier. And, and he helped me to understand what that barrier was and the price that Jesus had paid, the dear man that, explain the gospel that he who knew no sin 2 Corinthians 5 became sin for me and I received that gift of eternal life and guys I I wasn't made perfect then and I'm far from perfect now but I'm going to tell you right now something happened 
something happened inside of me. The Spirit of the living God came and rested and resided in me. And from that moment, I knew that my life was going to be different. And guys, there's been moments in this journey that I feel like I'm, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm making these steps, I'm making headway, and then boom. You know, I'm just, I'm not, I'm not where I think I am. And the reality is, guys, it's, it's, I, love this, I love this quote by Jack Hayford. He said, God is not so much interested in your perfection because that's not reached until heaven, right? We're fully sanctified there. He said, God is not so much interested in your perfection as he is your direction. Is God, is, if God lives in you, he is, he is desiring and working to do this work in you. And he is asking you to join him. And he promises us that if we will journey with him, that he will transition us in everything that we think that we desire in this world. And here's what we know. It doesn't meet the deepest need of our soul. We know it. Even if we won't admit it, we know it. Everything our heart longs for is not, is not found in just a, a profession of faith. It is found in a possession of faith and walking with Him daily and allowing Him to show you and work in and through you in ways that you can never imagine. I'll, end, I'll just end with this. The fact that I stand here. I, I, there's so many more eloquent speakers, but I'm going to tell you this. The fact that I'm standing here on this stage sharing with you today is a miracle of the living God. And I want to spend the rest of my life saying thank you to Him. And I invite you to join me with me in that journey. Would you pray with me? We invite you to join us in person at our campus located at 3100 East Grand Avenue in Hot Springs, Arkansas. If we can pray for you, send us an email at prayer at crossgate.org. Thanks again for listening to our audio podcast.